Everybody, welcome to the Green Divas Radio Show. You're on with Green Diva Meg and Green Diva Lynn. Yay! Why? Thank you. <laughs> I'm here all night. I'll be here all night. So we've been busy, Green Divas, and I guess you know there's a lot of stuff we do that you all don't even know about. It's kind of mysterious, right? Right behind the GD curtain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, and, and it occurred to us maybe we should just let you people know that we. Uh, aside from doing a great and fun radio show and a wonderful website. And if we do say so ourselves. If we say so ourselves. <laughs> um, you know, we, we actually do a, a lot of digital marketing and production and media production for uh, for clients. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. And we're a lot of fun to work with, just saying. We are not just fun. We are a blast. <laughs> It'll make you, if you don't love your job right now, you will love it if you're working with us. Yeah, and you'll love your product and company even more because we bring out the best. But, you know, between GD Lynn being uh, super... I call myself a social media enabler. Yeah, she is. She's an enabler. You know, take that addiction to the next level, people. <laughs> and, uh, you know... I'll get I, your stash. And I'm, and I'm a producer. Uh, I, you know, we're both writers, and I can produce in any media form pretty much. And I've gotten pretty gar- good at it. We are talented. So, anyway, we just want to put it out there because we're not maybe the best at promoting ourselves. We're very good at promoting other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we're like, hey, man, you know, people don't even know that we do this stuff. Hey, man. Hey, dude. Hey, dude. We're, like, not promoting ourselves very well. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know? Like, really? So, anyway. Um, oh, my gosh. But ask us. If you have, you know, want a little social media help, a little social media training. Um, or a lot. Or a lot. We have. We can do everything from set up a website and blog to producing videos and a podcast or promoting what you already have. Healthy soup to nuts. And we're we're actually reasonably priced. You know what I mean? We're, you know, you get a lot of bang for your buck with the Green Divas. Just saying. So anyway, off off of our promotional moment there. Thank you for indulging us. <laughs> um, we have a great show today. When isn't it great? I know. That's what I want to know. Yeah, exactly. You know, when we're going to open up a show and say, you know what, we have a really crappy show. Just tune out now. <laughs> just, it's horrifying. There's a warning. Don't listen. I know. I'm just kidding. Just turn it off here. I just yeah, right. Exactly. It's it's bad. No. So, you know, we just we just we talk to some interesting people. We always do, and they make everything so much more interesting and. So we're learning, we're being entertained, all that fun. So, so join us today for a great show. <laughs> um, Richard actually, Fuller. Richard is on Fuller. The show. He is, was on before. Yeah, he's been on before, 
And he has a book called The Brown Agenda, and it's my mission, meaning his, my mission to clean up the world's most life-threatening pollution. And frankly, it's it's pretty terrifying in, in points. And yeah, they're toxic hotspots, and, and families are trapped not only by poverty, but they're in these toxic hotspots, and, and they're suffering. Well, and his travels to some of the most terrifyingly polluted places, including Chernobyl. I kid you not. I mean, the man's been around, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think Chernobyl. Anyway, I, I might have made that up. But I, I, the, op- the, opening, <laughs> the opening story is about him and the Ukraine in one of well, a very terrifying situation. So you, you just you got to read it. I, I think he's even his life has even been threatened. Yes, it has. So we talk about that in the interview, so now you have to stay tuned to get that. Well, and it's worth mentioning, and he probably does this in the interview, but pollution is the single largest cause of death in the developing world. Yes, yes, he does mention that. And it's, yeah, okay, uh, well, no, can't say it too often. You can't. And then we have a health and beauty segment with Lisa Perez. Um, Love her. Love her. And this one's about fluoride. Oh, my gosh. Um, you know. Yeah, and our dentist applied fluoride to my son's teeth without asking the last time. Yeah, that's... No offense, dentist, but... Well, yeah, offense. You have to ask like, first. You like putting fluoride in my kid. Um, and then we have an at-home second segment with our own green diva, Allie Hoffman, about her chickens. My neighbors. I mean, she is my neighbor, yeah. and the chickens are my neighbors. Well, the chickens are your neighbors. And, and I can hear them once in a while. It's so cute. She's got that them. silky, that adorable, fluffy, oh, silky thing, right? Yeah. Um, and then we have an inspired. I had so much fun with Jenny G. Perry in the studio recently, and the first of several in our series with her Um so this one is all about abundance. We all need to listen. So anyway, you can listen to the Green Diva show, by the way, on GDGD Radio, streaming every day. Uh, our show streams um, 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Mm-hmm. If you're not in the Eastern, you know, time zone, figure it out. You can, you can do the math. I know you can. You can Google it. You and they will it. convert the time for you. Anyway, so, you know, check out... Am G- I talking too much today? No, you're fine. Check out GDGD Radio while you're at it, because we've got a lot of other wonderful shows. And On Twitter, Radio GDGD. Yes. Otherwise, you can go to GDGDRadio.com and listen. Tune in. All right, folks, stay tuned. you got a great show coming up. Ciao, baby. Vibrant Health and Beauty radiates from the inside out. Get your glow on with Green Diva's health and beauty tips from natural skincare to creating healthier habits that make us sparkle. Okay, well, I am really excited to finally get a chance to speak to this gorgeous woman who is part of the wonderful, wonderful couple, Ron and Lisa. She is an author, an expert, um, and their business is the Healthy Home Dream Team. You can find them at ronandlisa.com, all spelled out, Ron, A-N-D, Lisa.com. Lisa is clearly a green diva and Ron a green dude, but we got Lisa today, so I'm pretty excited to talk to her. Hi, Lisa. Hello, Meg. Thank you for having me. Well, I hope I got all that right. You guys <laughs> you did. are amazing. You did. You even got... 
did I say your name right? Lisa Barris, right? Did I even say you your name? You got it perfect. All right. That was exactly right. Yep. Right. I'm like, I don't even know. It's just Ron and Lisa. Like, that's all. Now you know at this point, you know, who's using last names. <laughs> uh, so I think today we're going to talk about a health issue, even though Lisa and Ron primarily deal with healthy home issues. Uh, fluoride is obviously something that's in our homes, but it's a health issue. And yeah, tell us a little bit about this silly fluoride thing. Absolutely. Well, it's a huge um, health issue. You're exactly right. And about 70% of Americans are drinking fluoridated water in their homes if they're drinking tap water and unfiltered water. And if you're like the majority of people, then you've been led to believe that it's actually a healthful supplement that the government adds to our drinking water. Ugh. However, the jury is out on that because a lot of people in the health movement and in the green world believe otherwise, myself included, and that is the fact that it's not an essential mineral. Um, fluoride is actually a toxic substance that's added to our drinking water. Yeah. Right? Well, I mean, it's the only drug that's actually added to our water. And the Center for Disease, Const- the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC, says today... of American adolescents have dental fluorosis. Are you familiar with that? No. It wasn't, isn't it touted as like it's supposed to help our dental situation, right? Right, exactly, right? That was the point for it was supposed to help. But in fact, they found that it's actually caused, the fact that we have 41% of American teens with dental fluorosis or young children as well, which is a discoloration of the teeth. So you've probably seen this in people where they get white spotting or like lines that look chalky. They might have dark staining or pitting. This is dental fluorosis, and it's actually discoloration caused by overexposure to fluoride. Oh, come on. All right. So the government, for the first time since 1962, just this April, April of 2015, has lowered the recommended level of fluoride in drinking water. So how many times have we seen this in history, right, where something is brought to market, we've been told it was safe, and then they have to keep reducing the levels because it turns out it was more toxic than expected. Well, and I then mean, there's always this, like, crazy backstory. Now, I don't know if, if where I heard this and if it's true, but that fluoride was really a byproduct of something else that they needed to figure out what to do with, and somehow it was that's marketed. exactly right. Okay. Yes. So fluoride, we've got fluoride that's actually commonly found in nature at low levels, but the fluoride that's added to the public water supply is in the form of chemicals, and it's primarily fluorosilicic acid. They can also use sodium fluoride, and it's an industrial waste product from the phosphate fertilizer industry. Yeah, it's not a very pretty thing. (laughs) This is, you know, and what's interesting about this is um, 97% of Western Europe has fluoride-free water. That's according to the World Health Organization. And their tooth decay levels are just as low and in many cases even lower than the U.S. So this is where a lot of us are saying, hey, wait a minute, why are we putting fluoride in our water at such an alarming rate when other countries who have, you know, equal or lower tooth decay aren't even using it? So now the government, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, has lowered the level, and I'll just tell you what the levels are so you know. They said before we could have 0.7 to 1.2 milligrams per liter of water. That's okay. what was in there since 1962. Just this April now, the levels are lowered to 0.7 
milligrams per liter. Mm. Which Personally, is still... and there's so many studies. I mean, there's study after study, hundreds of studies showing. So the issue here is fluoride in studies was shown to prevent tooth decay in cavities, right? Mm-hmm. So in the bone, it actually showed benefit for that. But the problem with it in our water is we're ingesting it, and it's getting into our entire body, right. getting into organs, and causing issues in other parts of our body. And the list goes on from recent studies showing lowered IQ in children. Oh, my God. They've been underactive thyroid, ADHD. Too much fluoride can also lead to skeletal fluorosis, which is Jesus. pretty similar to arthritis. And even bone cancer, my God, osteosarcoma. So now, does you know the average f- tabletop or countertop filter filter out fluoride? That's a great question. No, the, your your typical counter, like your pitcher, say your right. Brita and Pure, those do not take out fluoride, and neither does your city. Um, obviously, they're putting it in. Why would they take it out? Um, <laughs> the city water doesn't take out a lot of things in fact um but you really need to have your own home water filtration system either a point of entry which would be a whole house or a point of use which would be something that goes under your sink like a reverse osmosis and or a distiller those are two types of filtration system that do remove fluoride and i don't know if you've heard of um berkey the berkey water system no Mm -mm. It's a portable water filtration system, and it's great because you can take it anywhere with you. You can even use it traveling. They have small ones for camping and things like that, but they're great for your home. They're stainless steel, um, and they basically do remove fluoride. They come with fluoride filters and arsenic. They've been shown to be some of the best filters on the market for taking out contaminants. So um, those are the ones that I would recommend for fluoride. And you know, when you, whether you use fluoride in your toothpaste, that's a personal decision. Um, I personally don't, no. and I have no cavities, so I've not used fluoride in my toothpaste or my drinking water for probably 15 years. Yeah. Um, and that you know, that's sort of to be—it's a personal decision because if you were going to use a little bit on your tooth and not swallow it. You know, maybe some people feel that's fine. Yeah, but it's I'd not like being foist, foisted upon you by the municipality or the city. Right, exactly. Yeah. It should be your choice. Yeah. And we get fluoride in, um, you know, natural levels, even in our food and through other means. So, you know, we don't really need to be ingesting ingesting fluoride, ingesting it is really where the issue comes in. Well, I really appreciate your talking to us about this today, and it confirms my validates my reason for not using fluoride for many, many years. Thank you. I, mean, you know, I remember the dentist being like, well, you should be using fluoride in your kids. I'm like, no, thank you. No. Oh, and kids especially. Even yeah. the, um, a lot of people don't know this, but the American Dental Association advises that parents avoid giving babies fluoridated water because this issue with the dental fluorosis is with adolescents and when the teeth are forming, it's very important not to be getting those high levels of fluoride or any fluoride for that matter. So See? All right. All right, Lisa. Well, I'm looking forward to talking to you again soon. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Are you sparkling yet? Well, you will be. For information on this segment and lots of other healthy green living information, visit thegreendivas.com. That's T-H-E, greendivas.com. Imagine a lake that has never been affected by climate change or any other man-made influences. Scientists in Australia have found water so pristine, it's called God's bathtub. 
More on that after this. There's nothing like hot dogs on the grill, but as a mom, I have to be concerned about quality. That's why I buy tall grass beef hot dogs, 100% grass-fed beef, nothing artificial, gluten-free, and voted number one in taste by New York Magazine. If you want to give your family a great-tasting hot dog and one that's good for them, then your choice should be tall grass beef hot dogs. Easy to buy online at tallgrassbeef.com or ask for them at your favorite supermarket. Tall grass beef hot dogs, the healthy alternative. Buy them online at tallgrassbeef.com. In a remote area down under, there is a small lake that has remained unaffected by humanity. Blue Lake has water so pure that science claims it's remained unchanged for the past 7,500 years. The lake water drains into a swamp and is replaced every 35 days by an aquifer that keeps pumping and purging the waters. Are there more bodies of water on Earth that are functioning as they were designed to? Can the long-term effects of pollution be reversed by letting nature take its course? How long would it take to undo what has been done? I'm Bill Curtis, and Earth Matters. Looking for low-stress ways to create a healthier, non-toxic environment in your home? The Green Divas make it fun and easy with useful information for making a beautiful and eco-friendly Green Diva home. On again with my very favorite Green Diva, Ali Hoffman. Uh, talking, you know, we're talking garden and related garden stuff, and I'm I'm kind of... I've got chicken envy. Let me just put that out there. She got chickens. I saw pictures because they were after I was there visiting. And um, love the chickens. So, Allie, talk to us a bit about getting started with chickens. Oh, we are just loving our chickens. We are finally, we've been wanting them for several years, and I know we're not early adopters we're further down that curve, you know, with the early majority of people that have chickens. So I'm just a novice, and there are a lot of people that know a lot more about chickens than I do, but I I love how they blend so beautifully with gardening. Um, we got our chickens, our village approved uh, people to have chickens. We're allowed to have up to six hens in our on our property. And so we got our chickens when we came back from a trip in May. We got uh, six chicks. There actually were pullets, which means that they were hens. Okay. We got five. We got two uh, Brahmas, two Leghorns. They're little, they're small ones, and one Silky. Like Foghorn Leghorn? Really? There's such a thing? No, they're brown. They're... um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they're dark leghorns, and they're they're smaller. They're not, they don't look like. Do uh, you have any of the chickens with like the, the the feathery legs, the pantaloons? Yeah, the Brahmas have feathered legs, and so does the silky. They're so cute. <laughs> and the silky looks like a fuzzball. It, they have they're Japanese, and they are bred to look like they have fur instead of feathers. Oh, interesting! So they're fuzzy, and you can't see their faces because they're all they, covered with feathers. They have the so. the headset there, yeah, the little fuzzy yeah. hat, yeah. Yeah. So, well, I got that one because my husband likes white animals with dark fur, dark eyes. So. Aww. 
So we have five hens, and we got them when they were about six weeks old. So we did not have to brood them, you know, with a heater and all of that. Yeah. But they um, they did have to have a coop, and we had a fenced-in garden, and we built a coop and put it out there for them. And then my husband built a roof on that garden, so they don't get rained on, and there's still plenty of sun that gets in that area. Yeah. So they go into their into their coop. So they're in the fenced area, which is pretty big, and yeah. then they go into their coop at night. So that works out really well. Um, but they're so much fun. It's amazing how they knew how to eat bugs immediately. They come in the garden with me and help me garden. Aww. Um, so you let they, them out of the fenced area? I let them out, but only if I'm with them because yeah. we have a lot of hawks in the area. Yeah. And I'm afraid of the hawks. We have an owl that lives uh, in some spruce trees. And um, so that's why we thought a roof was important. Um and then also, and we have raccoons, but we also, um, you know, the fence is important for the raccoons and the coyotes, and yes. there's some fox around here. And what about so your own? Of, what about your own dogs? Do 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 you think the so? dogs? Um, well, they're outside of the area where the dogs electric fence is. Okay. But my oldest dog um, is not on the electric fence, and she will come out. We'll go out. We'll let them out in the grass, and um, we'll sit out there with a cocktail and talk to the chickens. And <laughs> the, she'll sit right in the middle of them, and they don't—they don't bother her, and she doesn't bother them. Yeah, they, they'll actually walk up to her, to her, and she'll be interested in them. So, yeah, yeah. Um, they love to eat grass. They love dandelions. They eat a lot of vegetables that uh, are just just over uh, that we probably wouldn't eat. And their favorite food so far, next to dried mealworms, is grapes. Oh, interesting. So I've taught them to eat out of my hand with grapes. So, Aw, I can't wait to come worms. meet them. Yeah, they're a lot of fun. I'm really surprised at how easy they are and how much fun they are. We took a class from a, a, an expert in the area, and our feed guy is the guy that uh, where we got the chickens. And he is also very helpful if he teaches some classes and then if you have any problems, you can, you know, bring him over there or he'll come and look and help you with them. So he's a, he, he's a poultry guy. He's got uh, ribbons for some of his rare geese that he raises. Wow. See, I would think but, one of the hardest things would be to create the, the coop in a safe area for them. It is. It is. Shelter is really important, and we're going to take a class in winter keeping because we just want to make sure we're doing things the right way. So, you know, I know you're going to have to keep the water from freezing. Yeah, and yeah. I want to know what to do if they do lay eggs in the winter. How do you keep those from freezing? And you Are know, you getting eggs? Questions. We haven't gotten any yet, and um, they're about 20 weeks old, and they should start yeah. any time in the next week or week or two or four but we didn't really get them for the eggs. I'm sure they'll be delicious and wonderful, but we got them for the, you know, just for the joy and the fun. And <laughs> and we're not wasting anything anymore. I mean, yeah. any, any leftovers we have, they're either going into the chickens or they're going into compost 
or they're going into the recycling. So yeah, I love it. We just we just don't have. I mean, we need to start calculating, but the chickens have helped with that too. So. Well, and that you could get goats to also. Um, yeah, is that your next well, adventure. That my husband wants to get some miniature goats, but yeah. we're not sure the village is going to. I mean, it usually takes them long time to approve stuff so <laughs> <laughs> well you'll keep us posted on the goat but i'm i'm excited to learn about the chicken thing with you as you go along and oh, get through your first winter and hopefully i'll get to see them and um all right well this sounds kind of neat i'm i'm looking uh, i'm looking forward to it okay well i'll be happy to share with you <laughs> thanks thanks ali thank you Find out more about this Green Divas at Home segment and lots of other great low-stress ways to live a deeper shade of green at thegreendivas.com. That's T-H-E, greendivas.com. Green Festival Expo is the longest-running sustainability event in the U.S., and the largest one with over 250 exhibitors and over 50 inspirational speakers. Dine on delicious local vegan or vegetarian food, take a free yoga class, and more. In San Francisco, November 13th through 15th, and Portland, Oregon, December 11th through 13th. Visit greenfestivals.org. There are people in this world that just sparkle with an almost magical and radiant energy, leaving a wake of good stuff wherever they go. We just love meeting and talking with these folks who inspire us to be better, do better. Oh boy, it's a special day at Green Diva Studio. She's giggling. <laughs> We have our favorite Spitfire Mojo expert, Green Diva awesomeness, Jenny G. Perry. <laughs> I'll take crowd. that. <laughs> the crowd went nuts. Well, we have a lot of fun, and we, we've done telephone interviews. Mm-hmm. Who even calls it a telephone anymore, right? <laughs> I know, exactly. Really old. But, um, you know, we've really been looking forward to, I think over a year we've been working mm-hmm. on scheduling this because she's been busy as a mama. Yes. And uh, author and uh, coach, you know, the many, many lives of Jenny. <laughs> many lives, yes. And whenever we get talking on the phone, we're like, oh we could God. spend five hours. All yeah, day. Exactly. And clearly we are soul sisters. So mm-hmm. anyway, and uh, her friend is in the studio with us. What? What? And you're not on a mic. What's your name? Okay. Kim. Hi, Kim. We're just yes. going to give a shout out to Kim, who has a really cool store, which I have to get to apparently. Yes, Kim. Kim Schwartz. Yeah. Live right naturally. See? In EHT, New Jersey. Yes. What did you say, New Jersey? What? Egg Harbor Township. Oh, see. I just EHT. I'm like, what the hell? (laughs) I don't know what that is. All right. So today, right now, we're going to talk about abundance and the mindset necessary to create abundance. Go. Okay. So (laughs) I think the abundance mindset is, is interesting because you can look at like culturally, we have a mindset that was kind of like that we bump around with every day. Have you ever talked to people where 
I notice I'll be on the beach and people are like, oh, that's so expensive. And I'm like, that's just the the dumbest statement I've ever heard because it's what you value. It's just like, I don't want the cheapest thing usually because that doesn't always mean it's the best thing. I want like the medium to like the higher one if I can. Yeah. Um, But a lot of us were raised with a certain mindset that we kind of like, it plays in the background, kind of like what I... What I attribute mindset is, is it's like behind the computer board. It's like all of that stuff, like in the subconscious. Mm. So it's like, what is your mindset about abundance? Do you kind of have that feeling like, I'm never going to have enough money? Because a lot of people feel like that. Or even when they get more money, then more bills roll in. Like they'll get their tax return and then their car breaks down. Yeah. And I think so many people don't realize that there is a subconscious mechanism going on. They don't even know that they're saying out loud. I have no money. Mm -hmm. I need more money. I don't have enough. And that all those messages Mm -hmm. that I can't afford it. I can't Mm -hmm. afford it. I don't have enough. I don't. It's that whole like there's not enough for everyone thing. And my husband at at his job, he's a chef, and he's had cooks that that said, "I'll I'll never be able to afford that." And I'm like, "What? What? Why would you ever say I'll never be able to afford that? That's just a really like that means you have no creative force in your life." So what I think of is, I think the one of the best things for abundance is gratitude, because Mm -hmm. when you look at abundance, you can look at. You know, um, when someone, I can't remember who it was, it was last summer, they brought a whole bunch of fresh veggies to my house from their garden. And to me, I mean, yes, that's, it costs a certain amount of money, but it was like jackpot, like organic veggies. Like, oh. are you kidding me? Especially if somebody grew them, usually oh my there's goodness. some there's amount love of in it. love mm-hmm. and you know, uh, whatever, a friend. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that abundance, when you look at that, you don't just see veggies or that would be nine ninety nine or whatever it is. You look at that abundance and say like, oh, I'm so grateful for that abundance. Look in your fridge. Like I can go to the grocery store and very rarely do I take all five kids, but listen, it's like an adventure whenever <laughs> I take them. And I always try to remember in my mind, like be really grateful for all these groceries that are in my cart. And there's other, like a person next to me in line that's thinking, remember, you know, whatever their, their story is. And I think back that when my daughter was a baby, I remember having to put baby food back mm-hmm. because I couldn't afford it. Yeah. And that shameful feeling that you feel. Yeah. So if you can buy groceries, like I don't even care if it's on a credit card. The fact that you have groceries in your cart that you're going to put in your fridge, just take that in. Start to feel you that know, abundance. I've, I've had some hard times. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that got me through was this sort of gratitude checklist. Mm-hmm. I would sort of close my eyes and go, wait a minute. But right now, right now, mm-hmm. I have a roof over my head. I'm warm. I obviously have plenty of food. And even if I didn't, I could probably live for a couple of weeks. <laughs> and, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. I just go through the list of like right now. Mm-hmm. You know, no one's banging down my door to drag me out of my home. Whatever the fears are Mm -hmm. that, you know, when when you're struggling financially, and there is, there's fear attached for a lot of people for different reasons. I totally agree with you. And it is because really when you go to the present moment, usually like there's only peace and happiness. Yeah. And and I remember at my old house, I remember totally outgrowing the house and I couldn't wait to get a new house. And I remember like my husband saying something, looking around and he's like, you know, to someone else, this is, this would be paradise. Cause you look at what people live That's in in right. India. And I looked around and it was almost like, it was almost like I had blinked my eyes and cleared away some of that like cobwebs. And I was like, wow, like if you really take that in and, and that was a new mindset because your perspective is like this lens that you have. So if you've only lived in palaces and somebody takes you to a shack and you have to live there, you know, your lens is like, oh my God, it's terrible. But then to someone else, that shack, they're so happy to have a roof over their head. Yeah. And the best to, the best way to increase your abundance financially is to focus on all the abundance in other areas of your life, like right. the abundance of love, the abundance of, you know, relationships, right. friendships, Health, you know, kids, exactly. family, mm-hmm. whatever the good, And yeah. good moments because yeah. 
you think money is going to make you happy because you're going to have all these good moments, but it's like, okay, what's a good moment that isn't going to cost you anything? Like go right. sit outside in nature. That's priceless. Hello, it's free mm-hmm. and it's exactly. awesome. Because usually it's it and and okay, so here's another one. Here's the limiting belief that I that I have um, uncovered with people is with abundance. One way they block block abundance is they're going to have to pay more taxes. Or they'll have more responsibility, or people will ask them for money. Like, I, and honestly, it would be f- fine to have mm-hmm. the problem of having to deal with taxes, yes. because that means that I've got plenty, mm-hmm. right? But it's those Dude. little, it's those little things that you don't realize yeah. are little shadow beliefs that because, block. They can block because yeah. okay. So just imagine if you win the lottery. For some people, what they're thinking is, is they're like, "Yeah, that's awesome. I go do this." Other people are thinking. Oh my goodness, all my cousins from like, you know, from Philly, you know, they're going to come knocking up on my door and oh my God, that's going to be a lot of stress. It's going to be a lot of responsibility. It's a mindset. Yeah. It's like sometimes there is like, if you ask yourself, like, what's preventing me from having more abundance? Is it a worthiness thing? Like, what could my possible block be? And I love uncovering that with people. So, so basically, part of what you're saying here, other than the deep work of uncovering what our our subconscious blocks Mm -hmm. are, is that mentally, we can just start to pay attention to the self-talk and the stuff we say out loud. And because I think when I started to do this years ago, I was like, oh, I can't believe I just said that because someone would point it out to me. Thank you very much. <laughs> like, don't say that. And it was very annoying, but it's true. It is. When you start to listen to yourself and you're like, I can't believe I just said that. Or how could I be so stupid? You know, mindset is key, I think, in all areas of our life. And the other thing is gratitude, like we said. Big, big mm-hmm. gratitude. So let, oh, All right. So people – Watch what you're saying and thinking. Mm-hmm. Pay attention to gratitude. Look around you. Be present and find the love and the abundance in what you have right now. And then I think you open yourself up for more. That's my personal experience. Totally. Jenny G. Perry. All right. We'll be back with more. Stay tuned. We hope you're feeling the sparkle. Go out there and light up the world. As Dante said, even a little spark may burst a flame. For more inspiration, visit thegreendivas.com and listen for this and other shows on gdgdradio.com. I'm Dr. Anthony Lizowitz, and this is Climate Connections. We've known for decades that drought has harmful effects on trees, that during drought they grow slower and they have a higher chance of death. That's William Anderig, a biologist at the University of Utah. He says until recently, researchers were not clear about what happened to the trees after a drought ended. So his team looked at the growth of trees after severe drought in more than a thousand forests across North America, Europe, and Asia. They found that even four years after a drought, trees continued to grow more slowly than normal. Trees take up about a quarter of human emissions of CO2 each year, and that's a very big slowing effect on climate change. So if droughts caused forests to take up less carbon, that could very much speed up the pace and the severity of climate change. Andrick says it is too early to know what the long-term implications will be. Some of our best models suggest that forests could be relatively resilient, and others suggest they could really die off and mass and lose a lot of their carbon to the atmosphere. And we don't know which of those is more likely. But Anderig says that the future of the world's forests is still in our hands. I always like to emphasize that a lot of that future does depend on human decisions and what we do about climate change. 
Climate Connections is produced by the Yale Center for Environmental Communication. Learn more at YaleClimateConnections.org. very anxious to talk again to this wonderful man who's an author. He's the founder and president of Pure Earth, and he's, I don't know if he'd describe himself as an adventurer, but if you read his latest book, The Brown Agenda, which he says, uh, my mission, the the tagline to that is my mission to clean up the world's most life-threatening pollution. Uh, he's placed himself on the front lines of some of the nastiest pollution on this planet. Hi, Richard. Hello, Meg. It's lovely to talk to you again. And you've lived to tell about it. I was reading your book, and it really, it's like an adventure book, but but with some very horrifying backdrops there. <laughs> There's some nasty places in the world. Yeah, and the opening, the opening salvo is your... <laughs> Your trip to the Ukraine, to the village in the Ukraine? Yeah. We uh, got involved with a place that's now occupied by Russian troops. Oh. But um, mm. fortunately, before they overran it, we were able to clean up uh, a factory that was manufacturing TNT for the Russian war movement. And it was a, just a terribly toxic place uh, when I discovered it more than a decade ago. And it was poisoning the local local town quite severely. Yeah, but the story of you know you were you were somewhere going you know to some you know polluted pit there or something, uh, and, and and these black SUVs drove up and <laughs> they speak Russian and you don't. They're like, get in. You're like, uh, I don't know about this. <laughs> it, was, it was one of those moments, you know. These uh, we were, it was icy cold. There was a snow blowing. Um, behind us, everyone was wearing this big, beautiful furry hats, and we were looking at this place as a training um, uh, date. I was training people on how you identify contaminated sites, toxic oh, okay. places that are problematic. And we had a white van that had room for the 15 or so people that we were training, and then these two big um, black SUVs with the the windows completely blacked out pulled up, and we got ordered into them. Well, I did as the, uh, <laughs> yeah. as the boss. And I thought, this is it. Yeah. It's the KGB. I'm being hauled away. This is still Mother Russia, even if we're in the Ukraine. Yeah. It was quite something. And I managed to drag along our um, project manager as well. The interpreter. And he started arguing loudly with these folk. And I thought, this is great. Yep. Vladimir can pull us out and hopefully I won't be dragged off to some nasty hellhole. And uh, he turned around as we were, you know, maybe a kilometer down the road. And he looked and he could see the look on my face of, you know, abject horror and fear. <laughs> and he's kind of looked at me and smiled a little bit. And he said, Rich, don't worry. It's okay. These people are our friends. They need our help. Yeah, that changes the, the whole atmosphere right there. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because yeah. there's a line where you say, well, at least there were witnesses. It's like you're getting into the car driving away. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then they took us to this factory, which was manufacturing TNT, along with some other very, very toxic chemicals. The main chemical they were manufacturing could also be used to make sarin gas. Oh, Lord. So we suspect that they were making nerve gas there yeah. back in the very bad old times. Yeah. 
and they had this um, had left behind literally thousand tons of this material, and um, not the sarin gas, but the but the chemicals that would make that up and right. also make TNT as well. Right. And they, they just kept making it and making it and making it, expecting to get orders from the Russians to make more TNT out of it. Right. But the Russians, meanwhile, had collapsed. Yeah. The whole you know, Soviet system had disappeared. And for four or five years, they just kept making this toxic chemical. Because they didn't know what else to do? They didn't know what else to do. And eventually, someone said, you know what? We should stop paying ourselves or being paid out of the state coffers. No one's buying our stuff. And they just literally left all their tools on the ground, turned around and walked out with, you know, hundreds of tons of toxic, toxic material. I think it was like 1,100 tons of this stuff lying around. They only had space to store 150 tons of, 150 tons of it, so they had huge quantities of it just in leaking uh, yeah. piles. And, and, and this stuff, five grams kills a normal human being. Yeah. It's that toxic. Wow. So wow. And and as 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 it was described, you know, the, the, not only was it highly toxic, it was also like ready to blow up pretty much any minute. Yeah, there, there was so much <laughs> TNT lying around too that if the wrong pylon had it fallen down and landed on one of the pipes that was filled with the right. the TNT that had never really been pro- hadn't been decommissioned at all, then it would have blown up. It would have spread this stuff all through the town. There was a couple of hundred thousand people living there. It would have been much worse than Bhopal. Yeah. It was just just a terrifying place to see. Which you, you, you describe also, you know, there's some descriptions about Chernobyl and other places you've been. So the question, one of my first questions was like, where was the most horrifying, what was the most horrifying site that you, you went to? Well, you know, there's a lot of places that are um, just extremely polluted. Sometimes, though, when you're in a place, the pollution isn't as visible as one of those rivers that, you know, is covered with blue yuckiness right. or right. bright green and covered with garbage. It's obvious, Sometimes yeah. those sites, which look horrible, are in fact not particularly toxic. I mean, I'm not saying they're not, not you know. Right, but they're not as deadly, yeah. Right, but I was in one town in Africa, a place called Kabwe, where back in the early 1900s, they had built a smelter to mine the ore for lead. And, you know, lead is really just one of the nastiest substances out there because yeah. it damages children's brains. It yeah. just causes terrible disabilities, mental retardation, causes developmental disabilities, yeah. Only even in very small amounts. When when people are exposed to it, when children are exposed to it from conception up to about age five, any time through that period, um, lead can do just terrible damage. And this town was filled with it because the factory had been smelting the soil for the lead, selling lead, of course, yeah. no pollution controls whatsoever. Mm. And the town it was, was just, you know, so desperately sad to be there. It looked like no one could smile. Aww. No one had, there was not much intelligence around. Yeah. Kids couldn't play football properly because they were neurologically impaired. Oh, my God. Just a sad place to be, you know, not visibly as nasty as some of these other places. It was like the effects of it were mm-hmm. more uh, yeah. apparent. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's upsetting. Yeah. 
And they're not even that concerned. They've lived there for generations. So that's how life is. Yeah. You know, and that's kind of the tragedy of it. When we go in and say, look, we've just tested mm-hmm. your whole neighborhood and every single one of you tests with lead levels in your blood above the level of detection that my equipment will do. Oh. My equipment is only gets, goes from zero to 60. Wow. Every single person we've tested is above 60. You know, and death starts in at around 100, 110. Oh, my. So, uh, and, and they were like, so what? You know, then slowly, 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 they get the picture and we're doing lots of good work there. Oh, good. So, yeah. see, that's, that's the encouraging part. So you're out there seeing these things, but you're, you're able to step in and do something. Oh, absolutely. Look, all of these situations and all of these circumstances have simple, doable solutions. They're not, there's no rocket science involved here. There's often not a huge amount of money involved, too. Right, right. Someone just and has to focus and deal yes, with it. It's just about actually getting the job done that yeah. counts. Yeah. And that's what we spend 80% of our budgets on, you know, is just going out there and doing projects where we stop these kids from getting poisoned. So I very I love my job. It's a wonderfully satisfying job to go out and do this. Yeah. I mean, and I liked reading in the beginning about how you, you know, I, I, you said, wait a minute, I wrote it down. Mm. You can't change the world by punching a clock. <laughs> yeah. And you, yeah. Tr- you tried. I mean, you know, you didn't even know you wanted to change the world. Yeah. No, it's, uh, it's been a fantastic um, couple of decades of going out and discovering the size of this problem. And realizing it's one of these enormous under-addressed problems in the world that, you know, it's, there is so much low-hanging fruit there yeah. that you can't help but make a difference. Right. You know? Well, and, and, and hopefully it will be somewhat contagious. And, and your book really enlightens folks to the fact that these things are going on and there are things that can be done. And we can make a difference. Um, but the pictures of some of the people who were – you know, they're washing their hands with, you know, you know, water that's poison. What is this yeah. one? This woman, Nepalese woman, showing the results of using water contaminated with arsenic, and her mm. hands are just riddled with, you know, lesions, and you know, this is not cool. Yeah, I think yeah. we take for granted that, you know, here in the U.S., we talk about, you know, there's air pollution and there's. There's water contamination of things, and there's you know, uh, there's some problems, but mm. none no, of us... it's nowhere near what what you see overseas. Yeah. We we look at the the burden of disease. This is a very kind of technical research area for academia that says you know, where do people get sick and from what, and how do they die? And the burden of disease analysis is done by the World Health Organization and also another group um, funded by the Gates Foundation called IHME. And they're both absolutely first-class pieces of work. Yeah. And if you look at pollution and add up all the deaths from pollution around the world, it's somewhere between 8 and 9 million people a year die from pollution. Now, there's only about, not only, but there's about 50 to 60 million people who die every year. Right. That's so just how many who die, and you know, a few more get born. Yeah. So that means that one in every seven, at yeah. least, yeah. people die because of pollution, right? And so 
to compare that against other things, HIV kills a bit over a million people. Yeah. Malaria is around 800,000 deaths. Yeah. Tuberculosis, somewhere around a million as well. War and murder and violent deaths, these are numbering in the hundreds of thousands, less right. than 100,000, I think, per year. Yeah. Pollution is, you know, eight and a half million. It's easily the single largest cause of death in the world. Well, and there was an interesting, you, you talk about Bhopal and the women in Bhopal. I think that's, that's where it was. You know, Not Bhopal. I didn't, we haven't looked at Bhopal. Bhopal is, was, a, was a problem of, a, of an industrial accident, some, I think, 15 years ago from memory, and it was a gas that was released. Right, it quickly right, dispersed. Right, right. So the place is no longer really um, acutely toxic. There might be some residual pesticides left behind, but nothing really serious there. All right. So maybe I, I can't read my thing. own handwriting, which is probable. But, <laughs> it, but it had to do with the fact that um, about women, you know, getting attacked, trying to go to relieve themselves, to go to the bathroom. Oh, well, this is a common problem in India. Yes. Actually, in other parts of South Asia, too. Yeah. You know, um, one of the crazy things, statistics in India, is that there are many more mobile phones in India than there are toilets. Yeah. And more than half of the people in India poo outside, right. not in a toilet. This does create a health pollution It's an hazard. enormous health issue. Yeah. And this, the thing that I learned recently is that there's good research that shows, not completely conclusively yet, but I'm sure it will be soon, that if you have dried up poo around you, around your house, even if it's, you know, half a kilometer away and right. the, the dusting around, that that fecal dust in your lungs does something that stops you from growing tall. Huh. It causes you to be stunted. Ooh. So even if you're getting good nutrition, the fact that there's this fecal poo in the air causes you to stay stunted. And look, think about this realistically in India. Has anyone ever won a prize at at uh, the Olympic Games from India? Mm. Never. And are Indians tall? Ch think a Chinese tall. They are now, right? Yeah. And they've put sanitation. In the last decade, China has gone from almost no connections to about 90% of people using toilets now. In India, they haven't gone that way. They're mm. still all have all this outdoor defecation. Yeah. And I think, you know, this correlation makes a lot of sense. Well, you also, you know, talk about that, that while they've worked hard to solve the problem of starving people in India and starving children, which was obviously an enormous problem, but, but they're still having a mortality rate that doesn't really equate, and it has to do with the, you know, some, some to do with, with the pollution there. And this yes. type of pollution. Right. Yes, you, you, there's a correlation between the other big killer, the, the biggest killer in all of the pollution spectrum is, is really air. You know, yeah. and air pollution, too, a couple of new things that people may not know. Um, obviously, you can imagine that if, you're, if you've got terrible air, either from a, from a cook stove inside your house right. that doesn't have a chimney... Or just from being outside in that horrible smoggy stuff you see pictures of in yeah. you know, around Beijing, and so you can imagine that you get pneumonia and asthma and 
bronchitis and all those sorts of things. And that's going to um, knock you off, especially if you're not very healthy to start with. So you right. get a lot of death from that. Right. But the other thing is the very tiny air particulates, you know, the tiniest particles, they actually go into your blood the same way that tobacco smoke goes mm-hmm. into your blood. Mm-hmm. And, they, and they go into the bloodstream and they cause heart disease. Yeah. And this is a little bit new now, but now they think that there's more death from air pollution because of heart disease Interesting. Than, than from lung problems. Oh, my gosh. Well, so that's new. Yeah, new research. Yeah. Just yeah. not good news. Not good news. We have to clean no. up our act. We have to clean up our act. And, yeah. Well, you know, it's not that the U.S. needs to clean up its act. The U.S. now needs to go and help these low- and middle-income yes. countries I, I, I to agree. do something about it because they're the guys that they want to deal with it. They know they've got problems. It's all happened to them in the last 20 or 30 years. Mm-hmm. Suddenly they're overwhelmed with all of these problems, yeah. and they just need a lot of help. Well, your book does have some encouraging words and, and, and clear directions, and in the last chapter is about spreading the message, and you have like six really key messages that we have to make sure that we push out there. Um, so, I, I, you know, and, and I, I didn't write them all down, obviously, but I really want to encourage people to get this book, The Brown Agenda by Richard Fuller. And, you know, through his eyes and his work uh, on the front lines, wow, the front lines of pollution, um, understand what the issues are and see what it is you can do about it. And what what would you say the average person who maybe isn't traveling and isn't, um, you know, in India, but maybe here in the U.S., uh, what, what would you say we could do? Well, I think the key thing is to spread a, f- a few key messages. We need to let everyone know. We need to, The world needs to know so that our governments know and put some resources behind it. First of all, the pollution is the largest cause of death now in the world. Wow. And it's all of it overseas. It's not here in the U.S. Yeah. There are problems here, but they're really small comparative to what's happening in low- and middle-income countries. Yeah. Yeah. And the second thing is that a little bit of help can go a long way. And it builds such goodwill to help yeah. countries to solve these problems. We have the know-how. We have fantastic resources. Yes. Great scientists, great engineers great institutional knowledge about how you deal with it. We should be sharing that. And I think that's the key thing that we ought to do. If we can get a budget in USAID mm-hmm. to deal with pollution, the same way we do already for climate change right. or for biodiversity, Got let's it. make pollution the next big issue after climate change. Let's like make it, it the thing that we all get get on board with. Well, I think it's it, – it, it, if you – even browse this book, The Brown Agenda, you will see why, and you, you can't not want to take action. So I'm I'm really happy to speak with you and appreciate the work that you're doing and to participate in getting some of this message out there. Well, thank you very much. It's great fun to talk with you. You've been listening to the Green Divas Radio Show. Be sure to look for this and other Green Diva Network podcasts on iHeartRadio, Stitcher, iTunes, Swell Radio, and Spreaker. Get social with the Green Divas on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest. 
Subscribe to the Green Divas YouTube channel to watch them in action. And for all the latest good green news, visit thegreendivas.com. That's T-H-E, greendivas.com.